0: we need to be aware of today. Tom has been brave enough to give me control of the slides. This could either go well or end very poorly. We'll find out. So as I was preparing for this series, I came, became aware of a survey that was given to a number of churches um, in, a, in a, a given denomination asking the members of the church what is the book you would most like preached on in the following year? Any guesses what book that was? Revelation. Ironically, they also asked the pastors, what is the book you'd least like to preach on in the coming year? And the answer was also Revelation. Why do you think that is? It's hard. I saw shortly go, it's hard. There's a lot going on in this book. And so before we even get into, and we're going to spend the next several weeks in the Scriptures, before we even get into that, we're going to do some legwork. Because I think we need to do some legwork before we open this book that has um, a lot of passion behind it, that creates a lot of differing perspectives and approaches, and that I've seen believers box over what it means and what it's about. I think one of the reasons we are so challenged with it is because it is the last book in the scriptures. Its place as the last book, the ending. If you're, if you're watching a, a movie or a play or, or, or reading a novel, a story, that last chapter is supposed to be the chapter that kind of brings everything together a close, right? It kind of makes all the details make sense. Maybe the, the storylines of the people that you're invested in throughout reading the novel. Um, you want to see who, who wins, who loses, right? Who lives, who dies? You want to know how everything gets a bow put on it and it ends, right? There's some closure there. You don't want a cliffhanger. Revelation doesn't always feel like a nice, neat, clean bow has been put on it. Sometimes it feels like there should be an epilogue afterwards that says, oh, by the way, after all of these things happen, this is what life looks like. This is what people are doing and how we see ourselves. And the truth is that Revelation does answer a ton of questions that we might have about eternity, but it also, for many, seems to generate as many as it answers. And the reason that pastors probably don't want to speak on it is because, you know, the truth is I like having answers and sometimes with Revelation it's hard to find them. The second reason that I think um, pastors get nervous about learning about it and I think that or teaching on it and I think some members are concerned about studying it is that there's no lack of different approaches to the book of Revelation. We're going to cover some of those major ones today, and it's going to sound very academic, and it is. And it's because I think we need to have some idea of the history and, and how people have processed it, because that's how we come to the beliefs that we have, right? So there are four major ways, major categories or approaches to the book of Revelation. The first is what's called the preterist approach. Lots of big words today. The preterist approach. Preterists believe that the, all the events depicted in Revelation occurred either during or immediately after its writing. The book of Revelation was written about the time that, depending on who you're listening to, that either Nero burned Jerusalem or 20 years later, and the emperor Domitian chased all the Jews out of Jerusalem out of Rome and threaten to burn Jerusalem again. So if you've read the book of Revelation, it'd be pretty easy, I think, to see how you could construe that as the people of God living through those events as John is writing them. Be very realistic. To, I mean, that would, that would resonate with you. We're very blessed in that we live in a country that we have not been at, at war on, on our land in since Civil War, right? None of us remember that, right? Okay. Just checking. But these people would have been living through that. So when you read a lot of the imagery we're going to read about fires and burning and dragons and leaders and, and kingdoms and, and all of these things happening, it can be very realistic to believe that this was written for them about those events that were happening at that time. The second view we're going to look at is the futurist view. The futurist view believes that the vast majority of Revelation, anything after chapter 3, which is the stories of the seven churches, after chapter 3, is going to happen or hasn't happened yet. Right? depicted have yet to occur or will only occur during the actual end times okay by the way keep track because at the end i'm going to ask you where you stand just kidding well i need you to think about that the next one is the idealist the idealist believes the events depicted in revelation are allegorical And are symbolic of an ongoing struggle between Satan and the Lord. That is to say that they aren't literal events that would literally happen. They just tell a story of the ebbs and flows, the pushes and the pulls between God and Satan. And if you read the scriptures, it's pretty easy to see that history of pushes and pulls. Where the people of God come to know him, right? Right? for about a generation, and then suddenly they don't know him at all. They fall away, and he has to drag them back, sometimes kicking and screaming. So it's the idealist perspective. It's symbolic in its nature. And by the way, as I say this, through the first three chapters, or at least in chapters two and three, no one would argue they believe those are actual churches and actual events and actual times. It's the remainder of and quite frankly, the remainder that we're going to spend most of our time on, because that's the question stuff that causes people to disagree. The historicist, the fourth of our major perspectives. The events depicted in Revelation outline the journey of the church from Pentecost to the end of time. The idea there would be that there is this that you can physically tie the events written in Revelation to physical historical events throughout time. Some would say that there are seven churches, and so they describe and then lays out in the rest of the book seven what they would call dispensations, and that word shouldn't scare you too much. It just means different periods of time, different administrations, right? So diff- It's just a way of sectioning things off. Now, there are certainly people who build their entire theology around dispensations. They're called dispensationalists. Imagine that. Okay? Again, nerdy words today. Keep up. It's a lot. I know. But they do believe that certain events are tied to certain events. Certain events in life are tied to certain events in the book. Okay? this this has been the prevailing perspective for much of our history as christians the historicist perspective it's where we develop or have this idea where we go do you think we are in the end times do you think this is it this is the moment and then you you where we have series like the left behind series and others where we see kind of these i'm tying this end-time event in the book of Revelation to this physical thing I'm seeing right now. Funny thing about the historicist perspective is it's much easier to see in retrospect than it is in the moment because you can look back and say, okay, now I'm, this is all starting to make sense based on what I already, I know now. But that doesn't stop us from trying to figure it out. The historicist perspective is what's left people arguing over whether or not they're pre-millennial or post-millennial or amillennial, which basically means when is Jesus showing up—before the millennium, after the millennium, or somewhere in the middle. I will tell you that I think the historicist perspective has some downsides, and one of the, and, and and I think and I want to address that because it's the prevailing view. But I really think it's got some concerning pieces to it. Not the least of which is Scripture. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 says, Now concerning that day, as his disciples are asking him, When the day of the Lord is coming? And by the way, that is the end game here in Revelation, the day of the Lord. When is the day of the Lord coming? And Jesus' response is really clear. Now concerning that day and hour, who knows? No one knows, neither the, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. It's interesting that in that phrase, Jesus himself even says, I don't know. Then in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, as he's about to ascend onto heaven, they ask him this question again. And he says to them, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come to you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he gets into, and then there's another text we're going to look at in a second. It's uh, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. And, but either way, all of these scriptures kind of should cause us to, to, to ask ourselves this question. If we are referring to Revelation as some kind of cipher to help us discern exactly what's going on and when it's happening and it's how it's happening, we might be treading into waters we were never meant to be in. We might be looking for knowledge we were never meant to know why would god not want us to know things for our, for our own protection i believe that i believe very much that sometimes human beings if we know all of the outcome or knew where god was do- where he was going what he was going to do when he was going to do it and how he was going to do it we're a little selfish we may or may not try to manipulate it for our own benefits. The Emperor Constantine, by the way, which is which was uh, credited, who was credited with bringing Christianity into the Roman Empire. You realize that the Emperor Constantine didn't make his commitment to Jesus and, and be baptized until he was on his deathbed. He flew the banner of Jesus through an entire war. He used Jesus in many ways to have all of his people rally behind this Jesus and use him as the impetus for their their winning of this war. He He used Jesus as a motivational tool. But he did not take on the baptism of Jesus until the very end because he wanted to do what he wanted to do all along. And he decided that he had the system gamed, he had it worked. Human beings are a bit like that. If we were left to our own devices and trying to predict what was going to happen based on, we were able to discern exactly what was, when it was going to happen and how it was going to happen, we might try to manipulate it. We really might. And I, I would use Jesus as showing up anyway. At Jesus showing up as an example of God not going according to human plans. The Pharisees were very upset. As right? As was Judas. I really believe that. I really believe Judas was ready for him to usher in this military coup, and when he finally realized it wasn't going to happen, he kind of lost his mind. So the problem with this historicist perspective, in digging too hard Too hard to try to tie actual events with actual moments in the Revelation story can sometimes lead us to see things that aren't really there. If you say that can't happen, I would say go back and look and see how many times loving believers have predicted the end of the world. It's happened over and over And over again. And since we're all still sitting here, they've all been wrong. Right? Okay. We have to be careful that we're not pursuing an understanding of revelation so that we can feel more comfortable or so that we can have some kind of secret knowledge. There's an entire movement called the Gnostics that we're all about that. We know secret stuff. But that we are pursuing an understanding of revelation so we can pursue and understand who our Savior is, what our God desires from us, and to take the big piece from Revelation, God wins. Right? God wins. He may not show us every detail of his battle plan, but God wins. And at the end of the day, isn't that what we really need to know? And so as we approach Revelation, we're going to kind of dig into it from that perspective. Taking that, carrying that with us, God wins. So where do you lie in these four perspectives? Or where have you laid before? Would you count yourself as a historicist? A futurist? A preterist? An ist of some sort? I'm an ist. I'm definitely an ist. So full disclosure, I'm going to tell you where I'm at. Which is always risky. Okay? And as I said before, I believe that God loving Christians have been arguing over this book for 2,000 years. I think God gives us clarity on the things He wants us to have clarity on. I think sometimes God doesn't give us clarity because He wants us to wrestle, He wants us to think. He wants us to process. We were reading with the youth in the book of Jude this morning, so I was kind of getting them ready for this today. We're reading in the book of Jude that the, Jude is screaming or yelling at the people he's writing to, saying, you're thinking with your lizard brain. You're going with your instincts. You're not stopping and thinking about the decisions you're making and whether or not this really, really brings glory to God. God wants you to think. He gave you a brain for a reason. He wants you to use it. Colin. I'm just playing with you, brother. It was there. I took it. I'm sorry. I know you were. That's why I said it. Okay, so. He wants you to think, He wants you to use your head. And sometimes with Revelation, because of the imagery, we can, go, we can get into the emotional piece very quickly and not use the headpiece and not really think about what it's saying. Because it's written like a really good story, right? There are dragons in this book, right? Come on now. It's, an, it's epic in the way that it's written. It's designed to lift you up and make you feel Feel and think and both it's designed to make you ask questions. It's intended to make you wrestle I really believe that which is why it's so stinking frustrating because it's the last book and it's like cliffhanger You left me on a cliffhanger. I have so many unresolved issues So I am Not in any of those four categories neatly You knew who knew that was coming? Yes, I am what's called an eclectic, redemptive idealist. Now that, (laughs) ha (laughs) ha, lots of big words. So what does that mean? Well, I do believe, I do not have a slide for that. It's entirely too many words. What it does mean is this. I do believe that the book of Revelation does paint a picture of an ongoing struggle between the lord and satan i do believe that the picture it draws is that but i also believe it alludes very much to literal events i think that we have an advantage being 2000 years removed from the written from the time this book was written and that we can see the ebbs and the flows we can see nero versus the jews We can see the 130 years war that birthed the Brethren Church. We can see the Chinese government and Christians right now fighting, right? Back and forth, this push-pull of the Lord and Satan. And if you've lived in this world for more than about five minutes, you can probably feel the push-pull between the Lord and Satan. It's active, it's alive, and it's well. But I also believe very much... The revelation points to the ultimate redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that he will literally return. I believe that he will, it teaches that he will literally save his people. I believe that this is a revelation that demonstrates that this all belongs to Jesus. It's not just about Jesus, but this all belongs to him. He's, that this story that we're, we're hearing is about a story of things that he will do, he is doing, and he will ultimately do and ultimately finish. That he is enacting, and also that it speaks about him in a way that we can begin to understand if we're willing to wrestle with it. When Jesus returns, I think, I'm going to talk about the wave principle, this kind of push-pull, this up and down, I think what's really going to happen here, and this is again full disclosure up front, I think that we have this push-pull with, with, Satan, with Satan and the Lord of, of highs and lows in our society and in our personal lives, but I think that when Jesus finally shows back up, I think it's going to be one of those highs that's going to come so fast and be so high we're not even going to know what hit us. That's what I think. So I think it is definitely both explaining and having relevancy in our lives today, and I think that's probably my primary challenge with most of those other perspectives, because if you think about this, both the preterist and the futurist perspective, either it already happened or it's destined to happen sometime down the road. The book of Revelation, if those are your perspectives, is really only relevant to you for about three chapters. The rest of the book right if you think about it the rest of the book if it already happened Why do I need to read the rest of it because it already happened? If it hasn't happened yet, why do I need to read about it because it's not going to happen until it happens Right, there's nothing I can do can't fix it if you're a historicist I think you're limiting God and I think we're trying to take on knowledge that maybe we weren't meant to have. And so yes, I pull from bits and pieces. Not because I want to, but because I really believe this is how we're supposed to read the book. And I know and I understand that by saying my perspective out loud, some of you are already going, I'm done with him. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I would not stand up here and preach the word of God this way unless I really believe this is what God would have us do. So 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 14, we'll get to in a second. But I want to read through the next challenge with the book of Revelation. And yeah, I told you, legwork today. Well, that was how do you approach it. But the next challenge is, This is a book of apocalyptic literature. The definition is, it's a genre of prophetic writing that foretells supernaturally inspired, cataclysmic events that will transpire at the end of the, should say world. Rob can't type, okay. It's apocalyptic literature, and it is relatively unique in the New Testament. You could probably pick out two verses of Jude, verse 14 and 15 of Jude, are apocalyptic in their nature. But the truth is, the reason, one of the reasons that it's difficult for us to study the book of Revelation is because it has more in common with the Old Testament than the New. It repeats much, huge sections of Ezekiel and Daniel and Psalms and Isaiah. And so there's a reality that if we don't understand the book those old the Old Testament and those texts, we're going to struggle to understand Revelation. Revelation has about 404 verses. Well, it has 404 verses. Any idea how many Old Testament references there are in those 404 verses? Minimum is 500. Minimum 500 Old Testament references in 404 verses. Can you say the Old Testament is all over this? It is everywhere. And so if we're not people who are going to read the Old Testament, we may struggle with ever understanding the book of Revelation. We have to be people who are willing to read the entirety of the Scriptures. And I, as much as anybody else, love to camp in the Gospels and the book of Acts. I love to camp in the book of Acts. But the truth is, if we don't understand the Old Testament, we're going to struggle to understand where God is headed when this is all said and done. The book of Revelation is so divisive that Martin Luther campaigned to have it not in the New Testament. He also campaigned to not have the book of James. We talked about that this morning. But he campaigned to not have it in there. He said that the, that the book of Revelation was, he wondered whether or not it was even Holy Spirit produced. He wondered whether or not it was even valuable in any way, shape, or form for the average person to read. I would say yes. But you've got to work at it. And he really did not want it included in the Bible at all. Martin Luther. That guy kind of loved Jesus a lot, right? So why is it so hard to understand? Stay awake, guys. I know. I don't usually go down this teacher road, but we're going to do this today. One is the symbols. It's so hard to understand because there's so many symbols. Lampstands and stars and horsemen and dragons and such. There's a lot going on. And with those symbols, you go, lampstand? Why is he talking about lampstands? Why is he talking about stars? Why is he talking about horsemen? Why? why?" Well, we'll get to that. But there's a lot of symbols in this that unless you've read the Old Testament, you're probably not going to understand. There's also a lot of colors, and they mean things. Just in the section we're going to read here in a little bit. And yes, we are going to read Scripture. We are going to read from Revelation today, believe it or not. There's gold, there's white, there's burnished bronze. And they mean something. There's numbers. 3, 4, 7, and 12. Those will be your favorite numbers. Well, not your favorites, but they will be the numbers that you will recognize as we go through the book, I hope. Threes refer almost always to who? The Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Anybody know what four refers to? The entirety of the earth. If you've read the book of Ezekiel, as we studied it last year, they sent the horsemen to the four corners of the earth. So if you see the number four, or four qualities, or four people, or just the four in a a given section, or just the number four. It probably is talking about the entirety of the earth. Then there's the number seven. Completeness. Completeness. Seven churches, seven stars, seven spirits. The complete judgment, complete victory, complete glory, complete praise. It is all about completeness. And then the number 12. The number 12 is about the completeness of God's people. 12 tribes, 12 apostles. We're going to read about 24 elders. That's two times 12. We're going to read about the 144,000. Twelve times twelve times a thousand, or an actually, yeah, times a thousand. Now I know we we deal with numbers that are like in the billions and the trillions, and but to, to them, a thousand was an enormous number. Is it literally one hundred and forty-four thousand? Let me just dispel that right now. No, it is not. It is designed to convey. The completeness of the people of God, and by the way, it's going to be an enormous group of people that are singing his praises. So when we get into those sections where we're reading and seeing where the the fullness of everybody is before him, all of God's people and the angels were singing his praises, you need to have this bigger than OSU stadium vibe. More than you could possibly count singing his praises, people as far as the eye can see. That's the picture. So 12, the completeness of God's people. And let me be clear, these images all have a lot of value. But, even with that said, Revelation is not a puzzle book. It is a picture book. You sense the difference. A puzzle book is something we piece together to reveal secrets or secret information and meanings. A picture book is a cohesive, grand image that paints a beautiful picture. Vern Polyreth, a theologian, says this. You can summarize its message in one sentence. God rules history... And bring it to its consummation in Christ. That's, that, that, that's it. You can summarize the entirety of the book right here. God's been in charge all along. And he's going to bring it to a head. And Jesus is going to win. Right? Yay? Amen. That's the entirety of the book of Revelation. So everything we read from here on out is all about that. Jesus wins. He also goes on to say, and this is important, you will not necessarily understand every detail, neither do I. This is a theologian who's been studying the thing, the word of God his entire life. He's got more PhDs than I'd care to count. And he says, but it is not necessary to understand every detail in order to profit from it spiritually. Don't get so dialed in on the details that you miss the big picture. Because we can do that. We can do that. We have to keep those details in the place they are intended to be in. Understand what they mean based on the Old, ref- old Testament references and then apply them to life. I do believe the book of Revelation should have application in your life right now. Not just later, but now. It is a single... Oh, and by the way, one more thing, just really quick. If you learn nothing else from the entire series, there is no S at the end of the name of this book. Okay? There are not many revelations in this book. It is one singular cohesive revelation given to John by the Lord. And yes, that's a personal pet peeve. People who end it with an S, I'm like... You never, somebody says something and you're just like, that's just wrong. That's, that's one of the ones that gets me. So if you want to annoy me, <laughs> tell me something's moist and end revelation with an S. So you, you all have that catalog now? My theory here is that if, you, if, if, if I have to hear that enough, eventually it won't be such a shocker to me. And I'll be all right. So we're going to read 20 verses of Revelation today. I'm going to read them out loud. And what I want you to do as I'm reading them is I want you to try to see the numbers. I want you to try to see the colors. And no, I don't want you to have answers for them today, but I want you to try to consider that they're present, begin to look for them, and as we go through our study over the next eight weeks, they'll start to reveal themselves. Because this isn't a puzzle you're trying to put together. This is a picture, almost a paint-by-numbers, as Alana does every every Bible quiz practice. She disappears into a room and does a paint-by-numbers. It's almost God constructing this beautiful portrait that by the end of this, I hope we will all be able to see this incredible, holy, powerful, glorious, eternal, presence, and life with God that he desires for us to see in this book. Okay? All right. So let's read our verses. Are you ready? The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. There you go who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. I sense a theme. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it, because the time is near ever stop and think that maybe the word is supposed to be read out loud and not just in the comfort of your own home there's something powerful about hearing the word of God read aloud and hearing it together and quite frankly he says it very clearly in verse three read this right it is meant to be read is meant to be heard John to the seven churches in Asia grace and peace to you from the one who is who was and who is to come do you see the three who was and who is and who is to come and, and from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the, dead, from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood. Again, who wins? Jesus. Jesus. And made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. That means when he shows up, there won't be any question that he has shown up. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be. Amen. It is a given. It will happen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You see the three there? I'm the the Lord, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, and I am the Almighty. There's the three, right? I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He was put there for a time such as that to write that book. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I got in a car accident once. I got T-boned. And I, I was starting to come to my senses and I hear this voice go, are you okay? I was like, God? They're like, no, it's OnStar. But, <laughs> the point would be, and as John is receiving this, it's this power for overwhelming, like a trumpet, that's, loud right and all-consuming if you're standing next to a trumpet while it's playing you're not hearing anything else right that's that's the voice of God in his ears and he says then when I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands we get colors we get lampstands and we get numbers all in one place right And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe with a golden sash, wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was as white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice sounded like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand, a a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. This ain't baby Jesus in a manger, people. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, wouldn't you? I would. (laughs) He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. Too late, I already am. I am the first and the last and the living one. There's the three, the first, the last, the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write what you have seen, what is and what will take place after this, The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And that's the last bit of advice I'm going to leave you on reading Revelation. If John tells you what the answer is, it's the answer. Right? He tells us exactly how to interpret that. He does that multiple times. Don't overlook it. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. (laughs) Right? When he tells you how to deal with this complicated book, trust him. He's the one who had the vision. He knows. So, as we go through this book of Revelation, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to actually read it. I need you to actually read the book. Work through it at your pace, but know that we're hoping to get to the end of it by the end of eight weeks which means I'm not going to cover every verse. But you need to cover every verse. You need to read it. If you've held off reading the book, don't. If you think you have it memorized, try to read it again with eyes anew. Try to see God's presence. The other favor I need to have from you is if you have questions... Call me and ask me. If I don't know, guess what I'll say? I don't know, but I'll find out. Let me dig. Let me pray. Let me consider. This is a book that has to be wrestled with. There's a a wrestling going to go on. If you're really studying the book, it will not be easy. But what I can tell you is that through it, you will see the victory of God revealed. The victory of God revealed, not just for all eternity, but the victory of God revealed right here and right now. And you'll begin to see him moving when maybe you've missed him before. You'll begin to see the signs that he is here, that he has never left, that he has always been faithful, and that he is calling us to join him in the story that he is writing. Amen? Amen, amen, and amen. believe we have a hymn. I'm going to pray as our hymn leaders come up to sing our hymn. If you'd like to stand so it doesn't feel so awkward as they're walking out to come up, that'd be great. Good job, Chad. I appreciate you. Leader of the pack. Father God, You have called us as our our memory verse for the year, the, the verse that I really believe is driving us this year to rejoice in the hope that you have given us. And the book of Revelation is meant to be a book of comfort and hope. We don't often attribute the book to that, but it is. For those who are following you, it should bring us great comfort and great joy and great hope that is impossible to extinguish. Our, our verse also reminds us to be patient in our affliction as the, the story of Revelation indicates this world can be a challenging place and will continue to be a challenging place. We ask that we will be patient in seeing you work. Patient, knowing, fully, with all hope that you're coming back. And above all, to be persistent in our prayer. It's Romans twelve twelve to be persistent in our connection with you because we know it is you who will carry us through.